Hunter S. Thompson said, uh, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Yeah. That's, well, that's a big thing. Like it's, 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 yeah. it's running away from the, the responsibilities and yeah. it's easier to be the beast. Welcome to Mahan's Blogcast this week with another interview with Mr. James Carter, the abstract artist, boulder and Berlin native. And we're going to be chatting about art, the session and probably a load of other mad stuff. How's the forum, James? How are you getting on? Hello, Mahan McCann. We've probably been talking about doing something like this for the last... 10 years we've been talking about it for many (laughs) many many years (laughs) literally since we first attempted to write a tv show together in 2011 i was i was only thinking about that uh (laughs) that was the whole plan that i mean i i still think it could work like i think it was basically the plot of uh what was there was a guy like rick and morty i remember there was a character in it that was a scientist who uh, exactly built, he, he built was, a time machine. He and, was uh, the most. He was the biggest character in our show. And then Rick and Morty came out about a year after. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm still waiting for a paycheck. Like that was that was my fucking idea. All right. That's yeah, yeah. they stole my Google drives. But um, yeah, we've kind of. I suppose we've been doing stuff like that for quite a long time. Like yeah. Um, well, we that was that was the whole plan. Uh, when I went into college, I, I went into yeah. animation and mm-hmm. we had this whole plan to do the show. And yeah. I went in, uh, I was in second year. <laughs> I think we were too pissed the whole time, to be honest, to I, really get it together. But <laughs> we, we didn't do that much writing. I remember that. Not a lot of planning or um, structure to any of it. No. It was, we had a lot of heart, but none of the materials. I went, <laughs> I went in one day because we hadn't talked about the show for a few months. Yeah. I went yeah. into second year college and I got all the homework in the first week and uh, we hadn't really talked that much uh, at the time. And then I remember, uh, I think there was a call or something while I was in college and I was just like, me and you were just like, yeah, we're not doing this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were like, I'm going to be a writer. And I said, look, I'm going to be a painter. And then I just left. Yeah. And, and then it was like, see you. <laughs> I never, I never did another day in college. Like, <laughs> Man, I wish you finished that animation degree. The amount of animation stuff we could have done, but it was not to be. I think, uh, do you find... I mean, are you settled in with the abstract art? I always kind of wonder, are you going to do other figurative kind of stuff? Yeah, you've got the skills for it's morphing. It's morphing work. as it goes. It's not, yeah. it's not, I wouldn't say it's fully abstract, but it's also expressionism as well. Uh, from Yeah. And there's always kind of like figures hidden in it. That's always what I find so interesting about your work. Like whenever I was going through your website on the launch there last week, and I was having a look at it. There's so much like information hidden in the painting it's really like there's almost like little stories going on and little pieces well that's you kind of that's what i try to do is that uh Mm. i want to i want to be looking at my shit in 10 years time and find something else in it and you easily could man like every time i look at it and man i was even there when some of them were created and then i look at them again and i'm like what was going on like i don't even it's it always amazes me like where that, um, how they kind of come together. I know we've talked about like, in terms of you thinking about it, like chess moves where you're like, you'll make one move and then you build on it and you do another one. And that's how you kind of figure it out. Do you ever start with like a plan in mind? Never. It's always, yeah. it's always blank. Always spontaneous. Always spontaneous. And I'll just make my first mark somewhere along the sides. So it's not interrupting the middle of the page. And then I'll just... Uh-huh go from there if i can if i can bring yeah. things out from from that move and then think about it a bit more yeah i realized that uh so most of my pieces that i do i spend mm-hmm. about 10 percent of the time making moves and about 90 percent of the time just dancing <laughs> yeah. I, I have witnessed this firsthand like, there's a, a lot of dancing involved a in shitload of dancing <laughs> i'd probably spend more time on my actual dance moves than I what, do. what I actually, prompted that realization were you like mid dance and then you're like huh i'm doing a lot of dancing here. yeah <laughs> it always just seems to be like when when i, when I make uh-huh. a good move then i'll get up and yeah. dance for about fucking 20 minutes you just looking for the next celebrate. move 
Yeah, there, I mean, it's so different to writing. Like, I mean, the times that like when we lived in greenhouse together and you'd be painting and I'd do writing and stuff, they're such different sports. I mean, there's something there's something in common with it, yeah. but with it's it's just like different parts of the brain. But it kind of I find there is an overlap somewhere. I really am. Um, no, absolutely. that time whenever I did some of the painting with you and it's a very different experience. I think writing is so like analytical. You're always trying to like have this fucking structure together and a plan and stuff. And it's, um, it can be really stressful, I suppose. So doing the painting was a nice kind of, I think there's change, way more rules in your sport. Than yeah, in mine definitely to be broken. <laughs> if you can't, there are rules in my sport, but, uh, you can deviate from those rules like mm-hmm. way further than you can in writing. If you were like, I, yeah. there was one night, uh, we had a late one and you wrote, yeah. you wrote that, uh, it was like prose, but it, <laughs> it was just like one big line. Like, yeah, it was like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and it's words that didn't, uh, it's, it's hard for you because if you just put words together that don't match. Yeah. I remember, man, I was looking at some of like my old work and stuff where I was like, trying to be all experimental and stuff. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have to make sense. And you're just like this, you, nobody could even read this. Like, it's just gobbledygook. Like you are so hemmed in by the rules of grammar and also by just language, what yeah. people can, um, what people commonly use as language and what people can understand. Um, so I think with art, there's something, it's almost like a step before that. It's like, I think a lot of the ideas I get for writing you could actually do as art as well. Mm. But the way I translate them into stories and stuff is a different kind of process. I feel like art, like painting and stuff is a lot closer to the, the raw sauce, the kind of the brain material. Well, I always find with your writing, it's like you're uh, almost describing a painting or a visual image. That's how I start all the time is from like a visual image that I have of something and then translate it into, although sometimes you're just kind of like, I mean, like I was writing the play today and a lot of that was kind of out loud. Like you'd be hearing somebody speaking almost. It's like if you were imagining a conversation between two people, like what would this person say? What would the other person say back? And that's how you kind of write that. So it can be, that's almost by ear, I think. But um, I feel like, yeah, do you use your internal images a lot? That's kind of where... Not really. There's always, if I close my eyes, there's always some kind of random internal image going on. But when it comes, when it comes to creating work, that's not really how it it manifests. But also, even though I can deviate from the rules in my game, Mm -hmm. there's so many pieces that I'll wake up after a heavy session of uh, (laughs) painting and I will not know where the fuck I was. You're like, what is this? And yeah, is that, that's kind of a problem because like, I mean, you do sift through them and you'd be like, this one's good, this one's bad. But then you're kind of like, why is it this one good and why is that one bad? There's like, it has to make sense in a way, even though it doesn't make sense. No, 100%. It's it's, because I only work in black and white as well. So I don't Mm. have to... uh, I don't have the trouble of having to harmonize color. Yeah. But I have yeah. I have the uh, trouble of harmonizing a composition mm-hmm. and it does have to it does have to kind of lead you in to a certain place and then bring you out rather than just one thing holding your attention on it completely. You have to kind of flow into it yeah. and flow out of it the same and I think that's in itself you ha- I have to obey by those those laws of perception almost. That's interesting cuz I mean, stories work like that. Like there's, there's a reason that all stories kind of follow the same structure because if you don't do it, people aren't interested. Mm. Like people, like you watch one of those like French experimentalist movies and you're like, what is this? Like, why are they <laughs> like, none of it makes sense. It's all random. It's like waiting for Godot where nothing happens twice. And you're kind of like, uh, I mean, I get the idea, but it's not very, it's not pleasing. Like it doesn't satisfy you. Exactly. And that's because with story, there's a certain, it's like it, a lot of people like it as a structure of the, the, the actual psyche of human beings, that that's how we organize stories. And so if they're not organized that way, they won't make sense to us. It's probably something to do like that with art as well. But 
with abstract art, it's kind of hard to know, you know, what it is that's organizing it, particularly when it gets very abstract. It's like, yeah, a hundred percent. But and also with the experimenting side of it, it's if if you were experimenting to make a drink nicer and yeah. you try all these different liquors, there is yeah. the end result that is either it tastes good or it tastes shit. Just because it's experimental yeah. does not mean. Yeah it's going to taste nice, you know? No, I, absolutely. It's real trial and error. Like I always think of it as kind of like, it, it's like science, but it's just like there are, there isn't a clear method to it. You just kind of like try shit out. Doesn't work. Do it again. And then slowly you hone in on what works and what doesn't work. Um, I found it dreadfully hard, man. Like the amount of writing I've done, that's just never going to see the light of day. Like everything I did, basically whenever we lived together or before then in Dublin, a lot of the stuff in Berlin, like all of that is just useless, like because it's, um, it just takes so long to even get a sense of what's good and what's not good in it. But you know what I was thinking about that was, right? And there's so much of my shit that will never see the light of day and I'm going to burn it before yeah. anyone sees it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to burn it to the ground. like <laughs> Yeah, just hide the evidence. And Nobody pe- can ever People give out and say like, no, don't do that because I like that painting. Yeah, And the way mm. I think of it is, is if you were to listen to Jimi Hendrix, learn how to play the guitar, mm-hmm. you'd think he was shit. Like just because everything yeah, we yeah. do is pretty much recorded because it's on paper or you're writing it yeah. and it's a saved file. Yeah. You're yeah. still just practicing. So just because it's actually yeah. there, doesn't mean it shouldn't mm-hmm. be destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's just like, it is. Yeah. It's just the practicing that's been. I suppose, but you always feel like you're gonna like this is it, like you've got it. I have this like recurring thing where I'm like, this is the one. But I was like working on the same collection of short stories for like six years. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, you're kind of, you're always expecting it to be. You get really caught up in it almost. It's kind of like you have to fall in love with it, and then you kind of get past it. And you, you like, have to, you have to be, you have to, in order to do it, you have to, yeah. You have to think that every piece you're working on at that moment is the mm-hmm. best piece that you or anyone has ever made. Like, yeah, and then it really, is. like within yeah. within a week, you fucking hate it because you, <laughs> yeah. you have to get better. That's just built into the system. Like, there's an artistic hangover, isn't there, where you're just like, oh my god. What oh, was I thinking? Oh, it's the worst. Like, why, why did I do this? Highest highs <laughs> and the lowest lows. Yeah, it's so it's such a weird psychology, man. I'm always interested in like why people become artists or what it is because, like, I know for myself, the more I've paid attention, it is completely involuntary. Like, it's it's really down to who I actually am. I can't not do it. I mean, I think in my younger days when I didn't do it, like in um, Stephen Pressfield's Turning Pro when he talks about if you don't do art and you're a creative person you'll make art of your life you'll try and become a character and you'll make like you'll have all these dramas and everything will be like super crazy and stuff because Absolutely. your creative impulse actually needs an outlet and if you don't do it like you're, you're gonna fuck stuff up basically whenever I'm not painting or, or working mm-hmm my yeah. life does have a lot more drama in it and that's just a fact yeah. so yeah. i could write a yeah. book about the all the drama in the bar <laughs> yeah i mean the bar is a good place for drama all right that's like many stories <laughs> yeah well <laughs> if you were to ask me what uh paintings i was creating at that time i wouldn't be able to show you that much work mm-hmm. my life seems to be a lot more calmer the more the more, the, more uh, the more I put on paper. That's been exactly my experience, that the more I've committed to writing as a routine and as something I do every day, the more boring my life has become in general. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, really like, go to bed at like nine o'clock. And that's it. But I'm actually, I'm much more happy with it, to be honest. You feel much more like, I mean, you're unsatisfied always with what you do, I think, with creativity, but it does create a certain balance if you're you integrate it more. Um, how what kind of way? I mean, I know we were talking about the difficulties of actually making a practice of art. Um, you're quite spontaneous, so I mean, what strategies do you employ to get the pen to paper, like or get the the paintbrush down? Um, usually, some PEDs are involved, but. 
yeah, uh, late late evening. I mean, you work best at night, like yeah, most of the time I'm working at night. That's yeah. just always been the way because mm-hmm. it's just I don't know. There's less distractions and it's just easier. But with my stuff, it's I. You would be a guy who will uh, go to the keyboard at a certain yep. time and you have that routine yep. base. Yep. For me, I I find with my art, it is it is quite expressionist. So mm-hmm. if I don't feel it, I, I, the, the moves don't come out when I go to that page. I have mm-hmm. to really, it's almost like when I get a spark, I can't get to the page quicker enough and I completely throw my room apart. Yeah. And I spend the yeah. next day trying to put it back together. Or So not. you're kind of like with the muse really... If you like, you know, the inspiration hits and then that, I mean, I'm the same way really with stuff, but I mean, it's probably easier because I can just like note stuff down on my phone. Like I don't have to begin painting immediately. So it's kind of, mm. maybe I can, it's more portable as well. Um, But yeah, I kind of, that inspiration and it, I think is very key to your work. Like, cause your works, it, it always strikes me as really emotions. Mm. Like that's really, I mean, mine's very analytical, but um. Do you think it works best off like the stronger the emotion, the better the art? Yeah. I th- well, I think th- my best shit is made when I'm, there's not a single thought in my mind. Yeah. And yeah. and I can see it straight away when I wake up the next day and mm-hmm. I actually quite, I, I get quite a lot of work done in a small space of time when I'm feeling yeah. it. And yeah. I'll wake up the next day and I'll just see, I don't know, six, six or seven pieces there. And I'll say, right, those two will stand the test of time. The, the rest, I'll just fucking use the other side of the paper. Yeah. And the two that I that are made that I really like, I wasn't thinking a thing. I wasn't overthinking the moves. I wasn't yeah. second-guessing myself. It was just mm-hmm. pure instinct yep. and confidence yep. almost. If you have confidence in your line, yep. there's just something... That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of martial arts a bit. Like, whenever you're you're fighting well there's nothing in your head like if you're thinking and the other guy's not thinking you're gonna lose 100 like the whole fight you have to be subconscious like you can't be if you're in your rational brain you're done for like yeah. you're gonna be somebody's lunch there has to be so, a flow that's interesting yeah like because it, maybe it's more about the embodied kind of um the the kind of motion with your body uh, or being your mind being quiet and your body being involved more. Um, is there, I mean, with bouldering, you're saying and climbing and stuff, when you're climbing more, does that affect your art? Does that allow you to kind of. Well, I do um, find the motion in climbing is actually quite. Uh, yeah. It's when I started bouldering uh, the last lockdown, mm-hmm. so stiff and so just like each move was just a lot more hassle and these are on easier runs like the blues and the more i got into it and the more and you see the people there who who've been doing this for years and there's a it's a dance almost their their (laughs) hand is going so slightly over to the to the next move and then to the next move there's no jerks yeah there's no kind of jumping it's just all all natural all one movement yeah uh-huh. And I find, and that. that's kind of the same way. Whenever you're painting well, that's like you're in a flow state, really. Yeah, you're just you're a vessel. Like you're just a vessel for whatever, yeah, subconscious yeah. thing you're act, uh, tapping into. But yeah, yes, it's, it's all just yeah. It's it's just a flow movement of not thinking whatsoever. That's really interesting. I'm yeah. I kind of feel the same way about writing. Also, like that, at being a conduit for something else. Like it's not you're just either like a shitty messenger or a good one. Like, it's Absolutely, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the, I don't know what you'd call it, but, um, that the, the creativity is working through you rather than you making it up. Like if I sit down and try and make something up, it's, it's going to be pretty shite. Like, yeah, there will usually be less truth in it. Yeah. It does require a certain, um, emotion i think and for me definitely like the best stuff that i write i think comes from the deeper emotions from stuff that are really like kind of fundamental to who you are fun i think creativity comes from i've heard this said by um jordan peterson before but i definitely agree with it that creativity comes from a dilemma in your life that like as a kid you had certain 
um, dilemmas that you had to kind of think about and work with mm. and that that creates the, the creative mentality. Um, and maybe that's the, I don't know, the troubled artist kind of character that comes out of it. Um, it's because you need like problems, I think, in order to work on to become creative. It's problem solving, um, exactly. It is. It's a kind of really unique, or, <laughs> yeah, an unusual way of solving problems. Um, I remember one of, the, first... one of the first, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, one of the first uh, things that I remember of someone showing me something in art. Yeah. It was one of my mum's friends and he was teaching me how to draw, I think Bart Simpson or something. This would have been when I was about eight years old. Yeah. And I, yeah. I fucked it up. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying, I was about to trash the page and I remember him saying, no, yeah. no, 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 you have to fix it. Yeah. And I remember that for some reason, just Whoa. sticking with me that it's like, instead of, instead of moving on to the next thing, I think that is especially in my art today, cause, because I don't use a rubber or if I'm using ink, whatever mark goes down, it's fucking down. You can't go back. That's it. So the, the fact of trying to, trying to fix something that's on the page and trying to make it work has stuck with mm-hmm. me a lot. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And that was exactly what my question was going to be, which was, you know, when did you start doing art? I don't think I've ever actually asked you that question. As long as I can remember, really. Yeah. Um, Um, Just like copying, copying sketches. I remember that was a big thing. Just like having books of tigers or something. I I had this drawing of a tiger uh, that I did when I was about 10 or probably even younger than that. And, uh, you remember Dougal from Father Ted? Yeah, yeah. His his kid went to my primary school, and yeah. I remember all the kids went out and were hounding him one day. It's like, oh, Dougal's outside, and I brought him out that sketch just to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> and he never dropped his daughter into school again. He, like, he just could. <laughs> See, you gave this tiger sketch to Dougal to from Dougal, Father Ted. From Father Ted to sign it. <laughs> Took him back. It's fucking gone now, but he never he never came back to the school. Did, did he sign it? Like, yeah, yeah, he signed it. Yeah, well, that's pretty sound. Anyway, that's uh, man, that's a good origin story. Nice. Maybe <laughs> yeah. someday someone will find that and be like, oh, Dougal could draw tigers. Well. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's so funny. Because I never, yeah, I um, I don't think I ever asked you about that, really, to be honest, about, you know, starting out doing art and stuff. Um, I suppose you were kind of like me in school where you would have got in trouble and been a bit of a bowled boy some of the time. More often than not. Yeah, I mean, in primary school, I was worse than... In secondary school, I was a lot better, but in primary school, I was in trouble, like, every single week, basically. I just couldn't do anything right, like... Yeah, I was was in trouble throughout kind of my career at school. But that was because, like, they say that you've got uh, problems if you're bored with maths or geography and you're looking yeah. out the window it's like no he's just, that kid doesn't have problems <laughs> yeah. he's just bored with what you're he's fucking talking about this stuff that has no relevance to him whatsoever no relevance um, that he'll never use the, there's zero things that i learned in secondary school in the book that i applied yeah. to my natural life remember like, me and you me and you doing all those maths grinds and maths <laughs> and Do you lambda i mean i spent so long learning maths and like it's just I just use my phone now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. And uh, but real, real uh, complex, like complex numbers and imaginary numbers and stuff. Yeah. Do you oh. remember his? Uh, he was talking about. So you have two thirds here, and then <laughs> if I have two thirds, and then I add another third, that's a full one. One. That's three thirds. <laughs> <laughs> We're just looking over each other. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um. I didn't. Yeah. It was. I was talking to Philly in the last one um, and he had the same thing where he was just like looking out the window in school and I think if you're a creative young fella and there's an interesting thing actually that you should look up uh, which is the the creativity curve in young men um, correlates with the criminality curve so young men are most creative between 16 and 25 and that's also when they're most likely to be criminals Mm. and so there is a real thing about creativity and breaking the rules, I think, because you're always willing to kind of like push boundaries and stuff. It's, I think it's kind of a prerequisite for being a creative person is to be, you're, you're not really following any rules. You're always kind of like trying to sort things out yourself or like, you know, you kind of have, 
what would you call it? Maybe an individual mindset. Yeah, absolutely. You're going against the curve of what they're telling you. You should. Yeah, I mean, uh, problems with authority, man. I was looking at one of my uh, diary from 2014 um, and the stuff I was writing in it about like authority and stuff. And I was just like, man, I really had serious issues with authority the whole time. Yeah. Growing up, I think. I think, yeah, especially our crew, we got into. Yeah, we were pretty, uh, played a fast and loose, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you do grow out of that. I, I wonder what you do. What, yeah, it's. I think it's from after twenty five. The testosterone eases off, so you're less likely to compete for status. So it makes it easier. Also, you have more of an identity, so you compete for status less. I think a lot of the stuff that we would have done when we were younger was always in competition. Like you're trying to be the, drink twelve cans. Exactly. You're trying to, to one the, up. You're always trying to one up, and it just gets more ridiculous. And then you know then you're, you're in jail and Hoth and you don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a different story. <laughs> How long did you have your adult caution for? Two days? Uh, two, two days, <laughs> yes. So got arrested two days after turning 18, which is great. It was also the last time I was arrested, thankfully. I had a few, but, um, I had a few more uh, occasions after that. A <laughs> couple more brushes with the law. I think but I got then, double JLO'd for that incident. Uh, a guy yeah. came over to my house and we had just had a nice cup of tea with him. And he was like, so you're going <laughs> to yeah. you're gonna sign this one JLO and then you're going to sign another for the disorderly. It's like, oh. I know. And they easy. had, I mean, yeah, they let you and Connor go home and then they kept me in the cell until five in the morning because I was technically an adult. <laughs> I was still <laughs> working. And then I had to walk home and I got, uh, I got one of those, you know, rickshaws from town. Yeah. And, uh, your man charged me like 30 quid to go from Pier Street to Grafton Street. <laughs> just had to pay him and then walk the rest of the way home. So, yeah, getting arrested. Not so fun. Not, not so rest. fun. Good stories, though. Good stories, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I did it when I was young. And like, they, we didn't get like, I don't know, something too stupid. Like, you know, I think we were, I mean, you you definitely have less of a conscience when you're younger. I think you're more willing, like you're more aggressive and you're more likely to like, get into trouble and stuff and be, I mean, I, I just don't feel like I'm the same person as I was then at all. No, it's really, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing to think about, but like, I think a lot of young dudes go through that period of like, you just don't really know what you're doing. Like you kind of, um, yeah, a bit at sea. I find the more, the more brash people are as a teenager, they turn out to be the softer guys later on in life. Because you've done it, maybe, or you've... I'm not sure why. And then mm-hmm. people that I've been working with in bars, you can yeah. you can just see that they, they maybe weren't the coolest guy in school or that they were put down mm-hmm. maybe in school. And mm-hmm. they're using this power game now as their revenge. Okay, so they're being kind of resentful and taking it out on people like yeah you can just see it that they 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 climbed these positions to use mm-hmm. it to make up for lost time or something in school kind of pick on people that's something i found yeah i i mean you definitely do see it i i definitely would have been uh, a bit of a bully in school uh, maybe not to so much in secondary school although well probably i don't know i was kind of i always felt like maybe from boxing and stuff I'd been to like a different kind of world and then in like primary school and secondary school in like reasonably good schools and stuff, you always felt like it was a bit fake or something. Like there was kind of, you know, I'd seen people fighting and doing a lot of fighting and stuff. And then it was quite, it was a very different culture, I think, in like high school or say Dublin was than what I would have been used to in those places. So I think that made me more like stand out more maybe yeah and there was um, there's a lot of fighting when we were growing up and i wonder is that yeah. is that an irish thing or is that just a yeah I, we a had a real thing. like the springfield shelbyville thing like yeah. you live over there we live over here so we're gonna fight each other like. a couple of royal rumbles <laughs> for no reason <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's also drink i think drink is just like that just makes people so aggressive and so like just nuts man I mean, if you're going to, 
I think it's something like your your fifty percent or fifty percent of people that get murdered are drunk, and fifty percent of people that murder people are drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's definitely it's a the key indicator. Something I found yeah. so interesting over here in uh, the bar I work. Mm-hmm. It's quite a relaxed bar, kind of a cozy bar, and you'd go up to people at about say I'm closing the shop at two a.m. I go up to them at one or half one and say, "Oh, would you like another drink?" And they'd have yeah. fuck all left in their glass and they'd say, no, 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 we're all good for now. Yeah. And then the new laws came in with uh, the lockdown that it says, right, yeah. uh, last orders have to be at 10 and everyone has to be out of the bar by 11. Yeah. And within two weeks, the whole drinking culture over here changed. That every- to be like more like the Irish, like people just getting leathered. It was insane. Like I'd, I'd be like, I'd, you would have to ring the bell. The bar would be packed. Yeah. And people would be coming up with you with a full pint being like, eh, can I get two more, please? Because they couldn't go to the yeah. off-license afterwards. And the whole yeah. culture changed. To everybody getting loaded immediately. Everyone- yeah, man, I've been thinking about that because this play that I'm writing, uh, Waiting for the Offo, obviously is like set on the rollover, waiting for the off-license to open. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. Like, is it just Ireland? Like, we're, we definitely have some issues with booze going on. Because I don't know, a lot of indigenous people have problems with drinking, like Native Americans and Aborigines and whatnot. I think Irish people have a bit of that legacy as well. Our genetics are like, yeah, definitely genetically predisposed to a lot of gargling. Mm. Um, but I do wonder if in Ireland you made like 24 hour offos, would we all just be dead? I don't think so, to be honest. I think that that it would be be mental, right? More mature. It would be mental for a year, maybe. And I think that after that, it would just calm down. Mm. People people send themselves home. And it's not this, if if I can't do it, then I have to do it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the Good Friday in Germany, Good Friday in in Ireland, it's not the same now because they took it away, but... uh, complete made-up holiday where it said, right, you're not allowed to buy booze on that Friday. And one of the busiest days in off-licenses were a Thursday. Yeah, because you couldn't buy drinks. Just because you couldn't it do wasn't. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing that struck me about Berlin was that, you know, everybody would have a beer, but nobody was drunk. Like, there wasn't, like, pissed people everywhere, except for, like, tourists. Exactly. Um, you don't see it here. Where it, yeah, whereas in Ireland, it's more like, you know town on a Saturday night is like somebody's detonated a bomb and there's like <laughs> everything's on fire and there's sirens everywhere it's just like exactly yeah yeah that's Dublin and at the exact <laughs> same time everyone gets released into the jungle so you get your last few shots in yeah yeah and then just get well, that's released. It. something I'm really looking at in this play is that I'm thinking about is like you know why why does the session go to such unnecessary lengths and it was something we were kind of talking about which is like this kind of uh, in for a penny, in for a pound kind of mentality. You're like, once you start, like once I go out and start drinking, I find it very hard to stop. Yeah, absolutely. I'd really, to stop drinking, like what I'm doing now, which is like six months off the booze, then I can stop. But if I start going out, I'm more like, you know, I get too excited and then I'm out running around. You know, it's, I think maybe it's different temperaments. It's all or nothing, isn't it? Like, Yeah, I, I really, I mean, I'm trying to cut down on my vices, really. I know you've been doing the same, um, doing the dry January and everything. How has that affected your art? Has it made it you more productive? Or? Um, to be honest now, I've, uh, I've had a wet February and I'm creating, yeah. I'm creating more. So I don't yeah. know how mm-hmm. to bring it into my into my game one thing that i did take from uh being dry for like five weeks was uh time yeah you appreciate your time way more when you're not waking up with a headache and you're not so yeah. so to go out for a heavy session of what what would be like 10 hours it, yeah. it's not yeah. it's not just the next day you're losing it. you're lo- that 10 hours is actually costing you about 50 hours yeah, until, I'm hung over until like Wednesday if I go out on Saturday. Like I'm probably like in a wheelchair for the, the foreseeable week. Exactly, I'm destroyed. Um, yeah, that's why I've been easing off it really. It's just because 
well, number one, I just have more stuff to do. And like, it's just not worth the trade off for me anymore where you're like, you don't even enjoy the days after it. You know what I mean? Like Sunday's right off. Monday, you're kind of like, ah, I feel a bit better. Maybe Tuesday, you're getting going. Wednesday, you're normal. And like, I'd actually rather just not drink on the Saturday night and feel good the rest of the time mm-hmm. than go out and get leathered. I mean, I haven't, I'm still going to drink a bit in the other six months, but I'm definitely doing this half year, no beer from now on. So like, don't drink for half the year, drink a bit for the second half to just like, just because I don't, I find it so unproductive now. Yeah. It just completely cripples me. Like, No, it's a good way to do it because it's, for me, I'm either on or off. I'm not, I, I, yeah. I don't do this in between thing or at least I can't. Yeah. I don't think I can. I, I mean, yeah, I think I'd be lying to myself if I said I can like go out and have a few all the time without getting caught up in a session and getting a bit. Exactly. And uh, if you let yourself off with that one, what's the difference with letting yourself off the next day? It creeps, it creeps in a lot. And then you're like, I noticed that like the last six months, like I wasn't, I think I only got pissed like twice. And then after that, like a Christmas, like I drank, like went out to the pub and you'd go out again, have a few. And it was kind of like, it was building up a bit. You know what I mean? You get used to the routine almost. Mm. So for me, it's just like, cut it off at the knees so because i don't yeah i guess i just don't think you can half do it maybe um but it's a hard thing growing up i think to try and trim down on those vices yeah it only it only comes later on in life i think because you've you've just you've done it so many times that you're just yeah i feel like alcohol just always brings you to the same place like it's always like you just teleport to you know kind of being pissed and then it's the same kind of thing a lot of the time yeah maybe if you're in like a nice country or something if i was like on the beach in spain but like just being in ireland you're like yeah well that's actually and, that's actually what brought me here five and a half years ago yeah was, was getting out of dublin for i went to i went to one session that i can't remember where it was or anything but it was just one that i had been to so many times before yeah, and I remember going home at about eight in the morning, and I sent out an email to a hostel here, uh, and got a got a reply within an hour saying, "Yeah, you have a job trial in October." So I just woke yeah. up the next day saying, "Right, I'm leaving." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the same as me. Basically, when I went over to Berlin, it's funny going to Berlin to get your shit together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I need to cool down from Ireland, so I'm going to move to Berlin. Just yeah. to take the edge off. Things definitely <laughs> didn't work out that way, anyway. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> really ramped yes. up. Not, not for a year, anyway. But yeah. uh, I find Ireland is bad, man. It's really like you can get very much in a routine of it. I mean, it probably depends where you are and whatnot, but. Um, I mean, Dublin is just full of pints, like mm. the whole place. And not at the moment, of course. It'll be interesting to see what happens when it opens up again, if people start going out. And I'd say people will get, I'd say it'll be like the roaring 20s in like America. Yeah. It's going to be mad stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, do you ever think, oh, sorry, go ahead. One thing that I find though with the, with the lockdown is people, even though you're bored mm-hmm. to the point of, you need to get something going that isn't related to just going out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it forces you to kind of do other shit, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to get other things together. Whereas when you have the distraction of always going out, there's certain things that oh, I can get that done next week or something. But if you have all this free time, it is a true test of whether you really want that thing that you've been talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of forces you to rethink your goals and stuff. Yeah. I found that a lot, like that I've had, I was talking about in a previous podcast that I've had too many goals. I'm always like, I get real enchanted with everything and I want to go and be a professional fighter. I want to go and do this. I want to go to that. And I need to like narrow stuff down, you know what I mean? To actually get it done. Like Absolutely. I'm the same. There's so many other things that I'd like to be doing, but Life is too short that you really only have time to get good at one thing. Yeah, that's something I really realized in this lockdown. Like when I got the coronavirus and I couldn't actually do anything, like Mm. I kind of realized, oh, okay, this isn't, you can't just do everything. Like there's a, 
a finite amount of things you can really become good at and it's not unlimited exactly it takes time to get good at things it takes a lot of time. certainly do yeah do you remember we went to a exhibition in berlin it was the van gogh exhibition oh yeah the kind of like 3d one that was like projected yeah they were all different artists projected up on the walls yeah and yeah. we were looking at each other so it would be a projection of like maybe two or three paintings Mm-hmm. And then it would say the name of the artist and how long they lived. Yeah. And all of the ones who were sweet were died at mm-hmm. around 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We literally looked over each other before it said the name or anything or the dates. We looked over to each other and we were like eight years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's how long you get. Yeah. Eight years old. <laughs> Everyone that was actually sweet lived a long life. Lived to be 80. Because it fucking but it takes a-, a long time. It takes a long time, exactly, yeah, to actually get decent at it. And 80 years isn't even, that's the thing that scares me, is like, it's not that long. Like, you're uh, talking to my grandparents and stuff, they're just like, oh, well, I still feel like when I was younger and like, you know, it's worth appreciating the days. I spend so much time just like being a grump about stuff that I'm trying to be a bit more like, uh, have a bit more gratitude for the time. Me too. I think gratitude is very important thing in life that I'm trying to get better yeah. at. And that's also ties into getting pissed as well because you lose days and you're just like, this is, you know, time gone missing that you can't get back. And it's um, it's also self sorrow where it's like, why me? Yeah. You, you <laughs> yeah. did it to yourself. Like <laughs> why God, why did you do this? <laughs> that's so funny. I remember when we kind of realized that in college and it was like it's like you're not being cursed by the universe. You just need to stop drinking all the time. (laughs) Cursing yourself. Yeah. Why am I, why do I feel so bad? And you're like, you literally drank for three days and ate kebabs the entire time. This is what happens. Um, Hunter S. Thompson said, uh, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Yeah. That's that's a big thing. Like it's, it's, it's it's running away from the, the responsibilities and, yeah, it's easier to be the beast, and it gets that's such a true point. Wow, and it really gets um, it gets worse the more you you act as a beast, doesn't it? Because all that stuff you're not doing builds up and builds up. Oh yeah, absolutely. It all hits you with a big uppercut. It's exponential. And yeah, and by then you can be really in trouble. Like it's just gone. You know, it's all built up too much. And that's, I think, when the really serious mental health problems come in, when you're really like, you kind of find yourself at the bottom of the barrel and you're like, how am I going to keep going here? Like, what's, I definitely came to that point once or twice where I was just like, you don't even want to be alive. You're just like, this is just, you know, what's the next step? You can always find your feet. I mean, there's, there's always another another way i think i think that's with uh when i was listening to you and philly's podcast my the hardest years of my life were getting out of secondary school and it was around that college period of like oh shit yeah i've got to go do the thing that i've been talking about so much now and make (laughs) something of myself (laughs) yeah i can't just fuck around anymore and there's that's a big big waste that no one really tells you about that's going to hit you massive it's going to hit you hard as well. Like I, I found that really badly in college, like, cause I think college kind of allows you to pretend to be somebody for three years that you're not. Mm. And then when you get out, it's like, woohoo, you graduated. And then I had to get a job as a dishwasher. Like I, I wasn't actually qualified to do anything else. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I really had to humble myself and be like, this is actually, you know, I'm not going to walk into anything great here. I'm kind of like starting from scratch I've kind of um I mean obviously it was an advantage having the degree and stuff for other for the masters and whatnot but um there is a kind of a cliff you fall off there and I think what I said to my sister when she was going to college I was like figure out what you want to do after have a plan don't just go to college to go to college make it a part of a longer term goal you really need to figure out who you want to be and I know that's hard but you can kind of sketch it out and then you have something to aim at yeah. rather than just like, we'll just see what happens and just like keep, uh, keep putting it off until you're faced with, you know, a really 
horrendous task. Because it is, it is going to hit you, and it's always going to be looming. Yeah. Like I thought, I thought I would have made more of myself by this age. Oh yeah, I thought I would have been a millionaire. Yeah. Right <laughs> I was, I was fully convinced. I'd be like, yeah, I'll be wearing a crown and like going around on a Segway, just like throw money at people exactly. I, thought, I don't know I'd have a closet just for my fur coats like yeah. <laughs> exactly like, you'd be living like the P. Diddy life but um, no it is, it's a lot of work really and I think I don't know why is is it worse for young men I feel like young women grow up more easily they're not as distracted and they're I, yeah I wouldn't know exactly you could say it's because of more responsibility, but they kind of, I think young guys are a bit messier. We're a bit more like prone to getting in trouble and just competing with each other all of the time rather than doing what we're supposed to be doing. I think males do struggle harder with getting their shit together, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fundamental to what I'm trying to do with all my writing, really, particularly with this play and with the novel that I'm doing as well is, thinking about that time from like 16 to 25 where you're like supposed to be making your own identity, supposed to be finding your way in the world and like how you can give better opportunities to young guys that are coming up now. Because I kind of felt like there was just like a void. Like I didn't really, I mean, I was talking about this with Philly, like guidance counselors and stuff. But other than that, there was nobody that was saying, do this. Like, no. And if anything, it's just like you go to college and that's, you know, that's the plan. Guidance counselor is a load of shite as well. If you're if, if, <laughs> if you're an artist or a musician or whatever you yeah. are, creative. Yeah. I was told animation. I, I I remember going in in I think it was fourth year, and I you had to like type in what you what you liked in life, and I said I liked visual arts, and the only thing that yeah. came up was animation because that's the only yeah. industry. Yeah. That or a graphic designer. Is. Yeah, they don't say yeah. well go fucking go and mm-hmm. be a painter like that, that's that's just not a yeah. viable option for a career mm-hmm. path because it's kind of it's kind no. of stupid to go for it but <laughs> yeah but also now it's actually not so stupid because we're in a situation where we have the technology for each individual to actually be a craftsperson and to set up themselves as a business like before to set up a business it would have cost you thousands now it's like the cost of a website and a bit of time. Exactly. I mean, obviously you have to build it yourself, but I really, that's what I was talking about with Philly as well. For creative young men that are getting in trouble, the real opportunity is entrepreneurship because it is something you can do yourself. You get experience on the job. It's very independent minded. And sure, you can work a job as well. Like it doesn't, it doesn't preclude you from doing that, but it gives you the keys to your own destiny. I think a lot of the time. 100%. And that was something I didn't feel like I had. I didn't really know, you know, what I didn't feel like I had any options really. I was just kind of floating along towards, you know, whatever happened really. But that's what I find the hardest part of, of the art game is. Yeah. The uncertainty. Not the uncertainty. The fact that I have to be a fucking businessman. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a, a very difficult, um, it, particularly because temperamentally, if you're very creative, the business side of things, it's, you know, it's quite different. Usually that's not, um, that's the, it's the opposite of what you're good at, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know, but there is, I mean, the way I've been compensating for that is by trying to outsource to people. I mean, if I had a bit more money, I could get a social media manager to take care of that. Or you could do, I mean you can get people to run your websites. You can get virtual assistants. The it's kind of the internet's made it possible to compensate for the stuff you're not good at by hiring other people. And um, now whether or not that's going to be successful, I don't know. I've just started out doing it. Like I haven't, you know, by any means made my living out of it, but I anticipate that I will and that it is possible to do it. Me too. And you're absolutely right with saying the internet. Cause before, uh, before that, I would have I would have yeah. only had galleries. Yeah, I would have only had, and I used to sell art in the street in yeah. Berlin. But you make the money of a street artist, which is not enough for rent. And, and you got to sit out on the street. Like I mean, it's uh, and you get more people on the internet, really, exactly than you would there. But it, yeah, it is that change. And I suppose when we were growing up, 
there wasn't smartphones like that only came in when we would have been in college like and only really decent well like this whole kind of network of like social media and stuff like that has was only really in like 2013 2014 i mean internet marketing's been around since the 90s and whatnot but nobody ever told me about any of this nobody said like this is something you can do as a creative person no not at all i never i had never heard about it no (laughs) recently (laughs) found out of it yeah which would have been nice you know but um yeah it's I don't know. I think we live in the best time to be an artist. Weirdly. I feel like a lot of artists, like it took James Joyce nine years to get his first book, Dubliners, published. You think James Joyce wasn't going to go and publish that himself and start his own business in the meantime? He was going to wait for somebody to be like, yeah, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, of course not. Like it's, but yeah, it kind of, it creates a lot of obviously competition and instability when everybody can do it. That's but. what I was just thinking there is that there is a lot more competition nowadays. A lot more people are artists, yeah. but all that does is to brings the cream to the top. Like you have to, you do have to be the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have Who to be, whatever you're doing has to be excellent. Mm-hmm. It really has to be and unique as well. I think, I think personality is the, is a really important ingredient in it because if you're, if yeah if you're marketing yourself i mean there has to be something there for people to be interested in there has to be the story you have, you have to have a story and a point of view i think yeah 100% that, and values also like it's great to see philly who's like really i mean with his magazine and everything and what he's doing for the skateboarders he's really instilling a lot of values in it and he's like his his emphasis on discipline and on creating something he's like almost like a father figure to the whole thing. Like mm. I really have a lot of time for that. I really like, I really like what he said about um, the analogy with the, the a footballer who said, you go ask someone who's, who's playing Sunday league to go out on a Sunday with no coach in the freezing cold to try to pull a trick for six hours. Like that is pure discipline. Yeah, absolutely. And you're doing it with no, I mean, I'm sure there is skateboarding coaches and stuff, but for the most part, you're figuring it out yourself. It's a solo game so, for most of it. Yeah, having a community like what Philly's doing creates, I mean, you can transfer skills more easily between people. But he's just a good example of what one person can do. I mean, there's tons of these stories of guys who are, you know, coming out of school or working, you know, like I'm working at a fucking call center, like, so you can do other stuff as well and inspire people and get people interested in other ideas and to develop in certain ways without being, you know, Elon Musk or anything these days. There is a, there's room for your mission, I think, for whatever it is that you, you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of like-minded people that you can get together on the project. Yeah. It's amazing. The amount of guys that have been reaching out to me um, and girls as well who have been, who are kind of doing their own entrepreneurial stuff and have been asking me about things about setting up platforms and about, you know, uh, different aspects of uh, creative entrepreneurship. So it's cool to see people kind of a community of people doing the same stuff. Mm. I'm sure I'll meet more as we go along. Like, But for me, it's the good, it's the alternative really to the, the void of, I don't know, sessioning and everything has always been art. Yeah, and that fear of failure seems to be diminishing now. People are more willing to take the risk. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big problem, man. I think that's kind of like, I, I don't think it ever goes away. Every time I open my laptop, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a battle every day. <laughs> yeah. Every single time I'm like, oh, what if I make a heap of this? Like, <laughs> what if it's no good? But you lose but, nothing from trying. Just doing it. I just think about it like running or like, like sports now, because with running, like, even if you feel like shit to get better at running, you just run and you just do it again and again and again and you get better at it. It's the same with writing. I think just keep doing the words, you'll get better. Even, uh, even in personal life, like approaching a girl and asking for her number, asking her out. Yeah. I would have, I would have been not the best at that when I was younger. Yeah. And now, yeah, nowadays, yeah. it's I I love the rejection. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a process of learning, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's really you, you don't lose, you learn. Like, yeah, exactly. And you'll only and it, you'll only kill yourself the the going home later that night and being like, oh, if only I'd gone up and like asked her. Like that yeah, that thought fear. that thought is way worse than going up and either it works or it doesn't. Yeah, the missed opportunity, man. I think as a creative person, you really. You feel the weight of that man, like all the ideas in your head just go off like sour milk and are just they'll they'll make you really sick, I think, you know, maybe in a spiritual sense, that if I don't make these things, whether they work or not, I would not be it wouldn't be good for me. Like I'll be, you know, bitter and resentful and just kind of feel like I wasted a great potential. I think that's that's one of my biggest fears I think is I had a yeah. I had a dream where I was on this like conveyor belt and it was I was going down and the it was like this big machine was kind of sucking me up and, yeah. and going around all my my toes and everything and I had my last few yeah. thoughts and yeah. one was uh I feel so bad that what will my mother think but yeah. the next one was, I didn't try hard enough. Yeah, and I had that. I had that seven years ago, and I that's always stuck with me. That I you don't want that to be your last thought. No, no way, man. Oh no, you want your last End thought to be like I gave it everything. Oh yeah, every drop contends with it. the end. You know. Yeah, oh, there's nothing worse than what was it, that Charles Bukowski poem? He's like. There's nothing worse than too late. There's no, there's no coming back from too late. No, anything other than that you can work with. So, but that it's always hard starting as well. I think because you're kind of waiting for a signal or something or a sign or like you know some some optimum conditions to kick off. Yeah. But the truth is, you just got to start wherever you're at. There's never a perfect place to begin. It's always going to be imperfect. Mm. So every place is as good as anywhere else. Yeah, you can't be looking at the top. <laughs> yeah, that's a surefire way to make yourself so depressed. 100%. I think social media does that as well, where you're always comparing yourself to other people and you're like, he's got 23,000 followers. And I, fucking, why am I here with my fucking paltry like couple of hundred and you're just you're just kind of torturing yourself really aren't it's you the worst curse that yeah. kind of stuff and also i i i've fallen to looking up when someone made it yeah so oh i always like what age were they <laughs> when that. they made it oh i do that all the never time never ends like, well like oh googling Ernest Hemingway like what was he doing at 26 yeah yeah it's just like you can't base Man. yourself off other people's no. achievements it's terrible but it does make you feel better when you're like oh they were just a fucking they were an Egypt as well yeah that's Thank that's God. what that's the only <laughs> that's what you're looking for is that they were a nobody that until that graphic after your age. age yeah <laughs> that's so funny man because it is it's it's such a terrifying thing to do man really it is I kind of try to inoculate myself against it by like putting stuff out there all the time. But like, I'm never comfortable with it, really. Even if I've written something that's really good and that I know is good, I still don't feel comfortable with. I think which is with, so... with the release, for me, yeah. as soon as I release something, yeah. that means it's finished. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as it's out as there. As soon as it's out there. Because I could, I could work on a piece for the rest of my life for, with it not being finished. <laughs> yeah, you get caught in these like shifting sands and you're just like, yeah, I get that. As well. I've had a terrible time with this play lately because um, originally it was based on uh, Waiting for Godot and then we've made it more of a play of its own. So I've had to um, make it its own play really with changing the structure and stuff. and you're just working with invisible things. You're like, there's no, like, it would be so great if it was like science where you have like step one, step two, step three. It's always just like, is this the right way? Is it the wrong way? And I suppose having other people like yourself or like other people that I trust to show things to and say, you know, 
am I insane? Is this good? <laughs> uh, you know, have I lost my mind? <laughs> Always the case. Isn't it? It's so true. You're just like, I don't even know. But yeah. as soon that's as that- soon as you put it out there, I saw. I think it was a um, uh, Home Alone kid, Macaulay Culkin, saying this yeah. on Joe Rogan podcast. As soon as you release the art, it's no longer yours. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't belong to you anymore. You can't. Yeah. You can't change it. You can't take it down. Yeah. It's out there. And I, that's that's, I think that's the best way to finalize. If I don't know if I'm finished something and there's a few other things that like, it just, I just need to send it out because it'll drive me mad for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You got to ship it. Like yeah. that's or, de- or destroy it. Just make the choice. Or destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. Sometimes you just got to leave it behind and go on to the next thing. Absolutely. Like, um, yeah, sending it out there. So true. How long have you been writing? So I started writing in 2013. So kind of 2012. So I started writing after, remember, in Germany when I collapsed and had to be taken to hospital. I remember it well. You were, you had ringside seats <laughs> to that event, I believe. I was, I was <laughs> asleep and someone woke me up saying, yeah, man's going to hospital. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, someone I was, had to wake me up twice and like, no, no, my hand's going to hospital. I was like, oh yeah, that's, that sounds <laughs> yeah. a bit more serious. Than- <laughs> <laughs> the second time around. Um, yeah, that was kind of a big wake up call for me because I was fully convinced I was going to die. And so I realized I had to do something else. Like I'd kind of just gotten trapped in the partying and wasn't doing anything else. And so I started, I went up to my dad's house with him and he gave me a Charles Bukowski book called Hollywood and I read that and I just fell in love with reading again and Charles Bukowski obviously a bit of a lunatic and I was just like I'll just do what he's doing and just write about like session stuff and crazy stories so that was how I started actually right but like I mean you'll even remember for years I wouldn't I wouldn't tell anybody that was writing I wouldn't call myself a writer no until like maybe until I did my master's, I'd say would be only when I actually started like even embracing it because it was just so, so different to what I'd done. I mean, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian in college. Yeah, 100%. That was, that was the game plan at one point. Like, but, um, well, there's writing in I, that. So there is writing in it, man. I think I work better with, I like stories and I like, uh, creating these kind of bigger things for people that they can really creating worlds really uh, is something I'm I I enjoy from other people doing it so I'm doing it as well I think yeah it's kind of the basis of it and yeah what what's next for you what's going on with the website so the website's up now and it's just yeah it looks class a collection of <laughs> since I've come to Berlin really yeah um just hammering away at inks that I do and uh, charcoal pieces. And I feel now that I have kind of two styles with, yep. I find my style changes with the medium. Yeah. So if you think of it like music, yep. Hendrix would play the drums. He would probably play it with that, still that, that bit of the same style, but, but it's different. It's a different, effect. it's a different instrument. So yep. I'm finding now I'm trying to, I'm trying to morph my, my styles with the inks and the charcoals. Yeah. But I'll be re- releasing a store on it as well. And I'm trying to make it a bit of dosh. Yeah, man, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that want those original pieces because they are, every single one of them is one of a kind. And if I, if I have my predictions correct, they'll definitely be worth a pretty penny. If you, you hang in there and keep doing it, they're definitely going to be something special. Cause I've, I know I've said it to you a billion times, but you are genuinely one of the most talented people that I know. And your artwork is just out of this world. Like, well, thank you. I, I wonder, that. are you going to, are you going to put Jesse up at some point? Jesse's no, Jesse's come up with me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just for clarity for people listening. Jesse is a approximately seven foot tall, maybe a <laughs> painting, which is, looks like a portal to some sort of other plane of existence that James painted in the nip covered in paint <laughs> for his uh his beloved dog just how most of my pieces are painted 
yeah, well, it's good to know. It gives them a flavor. Like, um, <laughs> and you're doing you're doing prints on the website as well and T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, I'm the, I found a good supplier there for prints. So awesome. uh, another thing that I want to do is uh, release work with musicians. Oh, yeah. So I currently am in talks with a few musicians. Uh, yeah. do, I'm, it's either going to be 20 minute sets or 40 minute sets. And I'll do a piece to oh. that set and go live. Yeah. I'm going to try to do it once a week, hopefully, or maybe once every fortnight. Yeah. Uh, but do pieces with that music. Because all my, all my stuff is pretty much created with it's music. It's very musical. You did a piece like that before. I remember, I don't know what band it was for. Um, the Two Lovers. That was set on fire. Yeah, that was, was name uh, that from my mate's uh, Badger Hill. Badger Hill. Yeah. 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 That was amazing, man. That kind of stuff was, that was something special to watch. You were just like, how is this even, it was, it was more than painting. It was like theater or something. And with a little bit of magic show thrown in as well. Yeah. That's something I really want to get back into is uh, combining it with the music. And also that means I can work with musicians. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a gig almost like a painting gig. Absolutely. That's sick. That would be so cool. The performance element of it as well. I always find. Yeah. Um, the stuff that I create because it's yeah. off the cuff and with intuition, yeah, I find that videoing it is quite important. So you see the process of it. Yeah, and there's that spontaneity in it, so it keeps you. It's very engaging. You used to do it on the street as well, didn't you? In Berlin, yeah, there was a couple of times I would I'd be performing on the street. And yeah, it felt really good. So I'd, cool. I'd, a lot of people just walking by, and then yeah two minutes or five minutes would go by after a Pink Floyd song or something. And I, I look up and there's about six people around me with a camera. Yeah. That's something you don't see a huge amount of performance painting. No, not very cool. not many around. So that's something I yeah. want to get more into is recording, recording the process of what mm-hmm. I'm doing. As you do it, because mm-hmm. you do it live anyway. Like, so it's kind 100%, of, so it works. Yeah, man, that'd be great. I'd definitely love to see some of that going on. I appreciate you speaking to me, James. And obviously we're going to have many more conversations in the future. Pleasure as and always, man. I really like, I'll, I really like what you're doing at the moment. Thank you, sir. I'll keep doing it and get more people in and I'll definitely be plugging your website to death because I think you're just going to be one of the best. That's, that's a jamescarterartist.com. Oh yeah, baby. Check it out now. Peace. <laughs>